Okay, hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I'm an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, where I treat first responders. This is season two, episode six, and today's topic is first responder relationships. But first, I always like everybody to take a nice deep breath in, expand the chest, and when you exhale, just allow your body, hopefully, to settle into a comfortable space, maybe pulling the shoulders down and away from the ears, and just preparing yourself to listen. And I want Jessica to introduce herself. She's with me today. So go ahead. Who are you? What are your credentials? And we'll start there. Sure. So my name is Jessica McCormick. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I am trained in Gottman couples therapy and also trained in EMDR. Um, I've been in private practice now for five years. Um, currently, I am with the Center for Insight and Connection in Lyle, um, and I treat couples, individuals, um, primarily adults only, um, with relationship issues, anxiety issues, attachment issues. Um, and I would say my practice probably is 50-50 couples and individuals. Um, and so I think that covers kind of what I am versus what you do. Um, the difference with uh, the degree I have of marriage and family therapy is it just takes a systems approach. So if one person comes in, I'm very interested in kind of um, the circles around them. So their current family, their past family, job, all the things that make them them because these issues that come into our offices don't happen in a vacuum. And we are trained from the get-go to just really go down that path and look at what are the contributing factors to your pain. So I think that kind of sums up what MFT versus LPC looks like. Love it. Thanks for explaining that. And I know um, you worked in the self-care path for quite a while. Yes, I and did. I was very fortunate to work with you. Yes, I, I absolutely love working with you still. I consider yes. this still working together. And um, you saw many first responder couples, which is why I decided, like, let's let's do this podcast. Let's chit uh, chat about it yeah. and see where it brings us. Because um, I know as far as when I evaluate an individual first responder, when I get to the relationship component of seeing how things are going currently, I may ask, how did you meet? How did, you know, when did you get engaged? Did you move in before you got married? I'll ask, how was the wedding, the honeymoon, to see if I can see any unresolved stuff in the relationship. And then I like to ask about how are your finances? How is the parenting? And how is sex? <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. those three things, if they're not well, it seems, shit gets unstable real fast. I would agree with that. Um, so I'm just going to start with one at a time. Uh, what would you say about couples and finances? Sure. And specifically first responders. So um, I think there seems to be a higher percentage of single earners in first responder couples than maybe other career paths that I see come in my office. Um, so sometimes, most times then, there really needs to be open communication about financial responsibilities in the home and how to um, kind of balance out that power, that accidental or invisible power that comes between couples when one person is earning literal dollars and the other person is kind of earning time, maybe caring for the home and the children. Um, so those conversations uh, I find with my couples are really vital. And when we get them on the same page of 
um, we are earning this life together, they, they really tend to turn around and get away from resentment because it can be a very resentful topic. Um, I, I, another thing that I see with the first responders in particular is this very big sense of pride that they're able to provide for their family. The issue that I see is that they themselves look at themselves as like the paycheck or the life insurance for their family. And that can create a very mm, like one faceted part of the marriage or being a, a spouse um, in the marriage. Um, so I often am working with these first responders to understand that they're not just a paycheck. They, they have a personality and they have their own needs and they have the right to ask for things in their home um, and to encourage those discussions between partners, if that makes sense. I love how you put, they're earning this life together. Yeah right? Like this is definitely two components in one marriage that make it whole, mm-hmm. you know, and what's that saying? The sum is greater than the parts yes. or something like yes. that. And so that was a beautiful point. And maybe speaking about power dynamics, jumping into first responders and parenting, mm-hmm. why, why is that so sensitive, do you think? And that there that creates a divide or a reason to come to therapy. It's almost the exact opposite reason, right? So these first responders feel very empowered because they are earning for the family. And now we turn around and the spouses who are at home with the children and the cleaning and the cooking and the grocery list feel very empowered that that's their role. And so I think there's almost these protective parts in each person that says, no, this is what I do. So how dare you step in and try to tell me how to do this differently, have voice on this. Um, and so I'm so often talking about, guys, you're wearing the same color jersey with these kids. You want the same <laughs> nice. thing. Um, and, and so, again, it, it kind of relates back to we both want the same thing. And often once I get a couple to maybe do some grounding breaths, step back from their defenses, they recognize that they want the same thing, right? They want healthy kids. They want respectful kids. They want, um, you know, well-rounded kids uh, with you know, college set up and, and all that stuff. So they, they want the same thing. It's I, I think it's how they go about it, um, which I think for you and I being EMDR therapists, we recognize that people's pasts and their stories that get them to this present day is what makes that so challenging for couples because they both come from such different backgrounds a lot of the time. Yes. Usually somebody describes themselves as the heavy lifter with mm-hmm. childcare and the yep. other one is you know, the gentle, soft, you know, let's work on their development. And the, the clash in perspective or focus, you know, makes them think that one parenting style is better than the other. Mm-hmm. Part of me wishes we can say, you know, both are needed. Right. Sometimes, yes, we need to show our kids that we have some authority mm-hmm. and that we're safe and we're secure. Right. Um, but other times we're going to have to provide love and you know some of that mm-hmm. kindness and compassion with their development yeah and i think what's challenging is there is a sweet spot of parenting and it's called authoritative parenting mm-hmm. and so um longitudinal studies which which means we follow a family for 30 years mm-hmm. um longitudinal is is over time um, they have shown that that particular parenting style creates the most well-rounded um respectful authority granting um emotionally intelligent people yes so it it is valid if there are 
if, if there's one way of parenting that isn't necessarily that way to try to shift people towards that authoritative. Um, authoritarian is kind of that old school, because I said so, go to your room, really volatile, really loud, which in the moment might stop a child from misbehaving, but in the long term, it's not creating um, skills being developed. Right. Which we see now in the adults in our offices who got the because I said so parenting um, and aren't really good at managing their anger. Um, so that shows up in, you know, anger management, drinking issues, affairs, uh, gambling, reckless spending. We see that then because there was no training to them as children of how do you manage these big feelings, big choices, etc. So. Right. Really, when I'm working with a couple and they're fixing their communication stuff, because 99% of people who come as a, to couples therapy say it's their communication, when we know it's that might be what they see, but we see all the other systemic issues. Um, once they start working on that, they kind of start to translate that into their parenting. Big time. Yep. And, and yet they'll tell me, my parents raised me this way and I'm fine. And I'm fine. <laughs> Like, tell me how you're fine. Yeah, yeah. But that could be a whole nother topic. I know I said finances, parenting, and sex. Mm -hmm. And I know we plan to talk about sex kind of down the lines. So maybe just like an introductory idea of what you're seeing with first responder couples mm -hmm. and sex. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard, much harder, I think, with shift work than people who are seeing each other every day, the nine to five crowd, even though that's different too but we don't have to go there so the shift work i think makes it very challenging because you're just disjointed so often so as soon as you kind of settle back in after you're 48 off or 24 if you get forced back um you get kind of ripped out of the family again and then there isn't a chance to cuddle when maybe your second day off was good so that third night might have been the night um because it's not happening because we're on that 24 48 cycle um so i see that as one of a much bigger challenge for the first responder crowd than my civilians, so to speak. Um, and certainly what I continue to tell my couples is you have to keep dating. And I know I get a big eye roll from, because they're so busy mm -hmm. and I get that. I'm like, not, not dating like the whole Friday at 4 PM till midnight. We're totally uninterrupted. That's not what I mean. What I mean is like the, attitude around dating right so yes. so the willingness to be a little more playful a little less serious um in our second to second interactions yes um so it becomes more more of a cultural shift so that it's not so business focused in the marriage because that's a drag um it's not fun it's not happy for anyone yes um and so when we start to work on the friendship and i ask them are you playing together and they look at me like I'm crazy because they have bills to face who has time to play and I'm like the the bills won't matter if you're not together man right exactly and so exactly um I think and what I've recognized is when pe when people come to us they're in so much pain or anger or resentment and it just feels like so much that when we provide a solution that feels relatively simple it it seems like that couldn't possibly relieve this pain I'm experiencing. So you're telling me if I smile at my partner and say thank you with some eye contact, we're not gonna get a divorce? Screw you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I can appreciate that, yeah. but it's adding those small things up over time so that you start to turn the culture in, in the relationship. 
And I know that's a really long way to talk about sex, but it's really hard to get yeah. to sex without a pleasant atmosphere. You're so right. Yeah. And th- that's where it starts. Like saying hello and how was your day and actually listening and being a little romantic and creating the niceties, mm-hmm. right? We all like to warm up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, yes. before we uh, heat up, if we can put it that right. way. And so, yeah, it's it's so much nicer when we can create in our family of creation mm-hmm. something that is more loving and romantic than what we saw in our family of origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. Um, Because I hear that a lot from both sides that like, oh, my, this is what I hear. Um, My parents never fought, which then I call bullshit. Mm -hmm. They didn't fight in front of you or you blocked it out and you're dissociating from it. Yeah. Um, My parents didn't, weren't affectionate. Okay, great. How's that working for you? Right. Why would you follow that? Right, right. Yeah. There seems to be like badges of honor around coldness and rigidity. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which... I get it, and I always really validate that. I'm like, well, that's what keeps you alive at work. So I, yeah. I fucking get it, man. It protects you. It's so protective. But put your weapons down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You can't get into the bedroom holding a bunch of knives. Like, it's not, no. it's just not going to work. No. So, so the, the willingness to be a little bit more vulnerable, um, you know, it just doesn't match the career. So that's why I do understand that there's resistance and pushback when I'm talking about... Um, vulnerability, intimacy, sincerity, instead of sarcasm, sarcasm, ball busting, um, you know, heavy jokes, stains, revenge. Yep. Yep. All that hostility. Um, cause, and I also know that that's a, a big skill skill. I'll put that in air quotes at the, at the firehouse too, after a really shitty call so that people can just get through the next, let's say 18 hours of their shift. Cause you can't have the whole, shift crumble after a really traumatic call so i understand and really can respect and appreciate why why the first responders come home jaded bitter intense hostile (laughs) and of course you want that awesome sexual outlet but you're not creating an atmosphere that's going to be successful i love that you just said that because for a bunch of dudes that want to get laid real bad they haven't figured it out yep i'm like you gotta be nice yes and you gotta have a friendship first it's yep. one thing to bang a stranger right. or your girlfriend or someone you're engaged to or a newlywed. Yep. But man, this is a woman you've been living with for a while. Yep. And if you want to be married to a woman, you need to understand yep. a couple things. Yes. And if I put it back with women, you need to understand a couple things about being married to a dude. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I find that to be challenging. And so like I do try to make the wives, and again, we apologize for the gendering. We know that there are female first responders and stay-at-home dads and all of that. So I will try to stay as gender neutral as possible. But we mm-hmm. tend to see like a very 90-10 uh, yes. men in the firehouse, women at home. So um but, but the wives or the spouse, the non-first responder spouse, um, tends to, yeah, they, they just don't really have the patience for that bullshit when it comes home, right? They're like, how, how do you expect a honk and a squeeze to get me in the headspace that you're in right now? I love that you just said that. Yeah. I've actually talked about headspace versus sex space. Mm. And tried to talk with them about, you know, being in the right headspace is coming to center, moving to the stillness of who you are. You're no longer lieutenant. You're not fire chief. We're not going to be a douchebag today. <laughs> you know, Joe at work might have deserved that, but she doesn't. Yes. 
So let's get in that headspace, but then sex space being different and saying, okay, like these are two bodies that want to connect in a pleasurable way. If you don't have sex between the ears, you're not going to have sex between the legs. Nope. Yeah. And, and I know that again, when I talk to the, the wives or just women in general, right? So first responder or not kind of family setup, um, I tell them it's not solely their husband's or male respons- male partner's responsibility to get them in that, that headspace. Like, mm. if you cannot feasibly have sex, if there's one s- dirty spoon in the sink, like, that's your shit. Like, you need to work on that. Like, I do, again, as a woman, <laughs> and a woman who wants a clean house, I do appreciate that. But then there has to be limits on if, if your functioning is so conditional on the way your house looks or, or how... Um, control over anything control right then you're not giving yourself the opportunity to be human and to say i'm willing to prioritize sex connection intimacy closeness um, making my husband feel appreciated um, over the sink of dirty dishes so to speak Um, and so that's where i encourage the wives to kind of okay work on the control stuff Mm -hmm. um set some boundaries and say at at seven o'clock, like no matter what I've gotten accomplished in the house, I'm going to tell myself that was enough for the day. So there's a lot of the self-compassion, I am enough work that I do with women so that they can let that go and not feel inadequate. And they can say, I also deserve an orgasm. I also deserve to feel good physically. I also deserve to be romanced. Um, but, but I'm going to advocate for that instead of saying, no, how could you possibly want sex? Look at the house. Look at how it is. Right. Um, I, I also think, too, and I, I figure we'll just go there now. There's yes. there's this high and low sex drive that everyone gets, right? Some people want it more than others. Okay, that's the what. But couples are always looking for how do we get there. And that's where talking way more about the types of desire instead of the types of drive is so much more important. For the most part, anecdotally speaking, 90, 95% of men are spontaneous desire. So they could have the worst day in the world, get in a car accident, come home, have had, you know, the baby throw up on them because he took over and still be able to like get ready for sex when she's like, hey, you wanna? Yeah. Um, and that's spontaneous desire. Responsive desire is again, more historically female, which kind of goes back to this, my house is clean, my husband and I haven't been fighting. He was just playing with my hair on the couch while we watched TV. Right. I could get down for some sex. Like, that sounds good to me, man. Okay. Um, so it's it's a microwave versus a slow cooker, right? Like, the, the speed in which someone gets mentally there to have sex looks very different in responsive versus spontaneous. Yeah. And ultimately, because we are kind of talking primarily heterosexual um, couples right now, that creates a lot of problems once we are in this long term way past the honeymoon stage we have a bunch of baggage in the relationship and tons of responsibilities um so that responsive desire is a lot harder to find i think i love that language because you know i was kind of stuck from college level information where they said you know we have low sex drive we have high sex drive and whoever has the lowest sex drive is going to control the relationship the most. And so what do you do with that dynamic as a therapist? But when you switch it to spontaneous and responsive, we just start to understand it a little more. And we don't have to talk about, you know, I think the clash as much as the understanding. Yep. Like this is how you start this car yep. or this is how you drive this engine. Yep. 
It, I mean, I'm kind of getting that. I think, yeah, you, you have it. And what I tell people too, like when I talk them through it, most couples then are like, oh, that's me and that's you. Ah, you know, we kind of laugh about it a bit. But then we say, okay, well, now what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. And especially, well, spontaneous is, unfortunately, it's kind of, it's easy in the sense that you don't have to do much um, pre-work to get there. Mm-hmm. The frustrating thing is that if that person's always ready, there's like a, a little more frustration, their sexual frustration they may feel because right. they are ready for sex. Um, with responsive, that's where I think we start talking about like tips of scheduling sex and everyone always, again, rolls their eyes at me. And I'm like, listen, we schedule a lot of fun shit in our lives when COVID didn't exist, right? We, yeah. <laughs> we, we scheduled travel and vacations and concerts and awesome reservations and our schedule of, oh, I know when my birthday is my anniversary. Like these are all fun things I schedule and are on my calendar so why on earth do we have to think about sex like it's a dentist appointment? Oh, it's on the calendar. Like, why? Why? You're so right. Why frame it that way? Yeah. So I, you know, off the bat, tell my couples, like, get that out of your head. Stop feeling like scheduling equals the romance is dead. Because I guarantee you, when you were dating, you knew that you were going to see each other Friday. So that was scheduled. That chick shaved her legs, put on her cute panties, and maybe the guy, like, you know, change the towels in his bathroom and like the sheets on his bed because they mentally had scheduled without saying it. They scheduled sex. You're so so right. it's it's all myth. It's all myth that it's, we aren't scheduling sex. We're always scheduling sex. I, I love that you said that, and it kind of reminds me though of the famous argument that I get. So I primarily see individual men who are first responders, Leos, uh, dispatchers, firefighters. Um, And when they come in, they'll tell me something like, look, I grew up being touched. My family always hugged and kissed each other. Her family was nuts. Her family never touched each other. And she didn't see her parents, Mm -hmm. you know, grow up hugging and kissing. And so there's this thing that, okay, she was hugging and kissing in high school. And she was having sex maybe post high school. And they were banging each other Mm -hmm. during the courting, (laughs) you know. And all of a sudden, her parenting Mm -hmm. experience or her parents' experience Mm -hmm magically has influenced her sexuality and we know that's not true so can we debunk this myth or this weird fucking thing yeah well (laughs) but it it, i think it again goes back to this responsive desire right so i can more easily respond to a sexual cue when i don't have children climbing all over me bills to pay um a partner who's gone 24 hours at a time so like before that's all an issue that responsiveness is um I don't know, again, easier to find. And that husband also isn't as bogged down with his responsibilities. And so it's recognizing that the responsibilities are probably going to make it a little bit harder to to create the response to the responsive desire, Mm -hmm. but it's still important. And foreplay looks different post kids and marriage and house, right? Like it is sexy to have a clean kitchen that I didn't have to clean. Sorry. Like (laughs) I saw, you know, I saw a meme one time. It's like, no woman's ever started a fight with a man with a vacuum in his hand. And it's like, I'm sorry, but like, there's a truth to that because there's a shared love. Again, that shared responsibility of the home, Mm -hmm. the shared responsibility of we are de-stressed. And when we are de-stressed, we can approach each other sexually. Right. And so when there's still all this havoc going on, again, at some point you got to set down some expectation and say, our house is a shit show. That's fine. Let's go bang it out anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then the, how can I help you unwind or what do you need me to do so you can go get yourself in the mood in whatever way that looks like? 
um, because that becomes a shared responsibility as well. The responsive desire is not just this husband who needs to clamor after his wife in all the ways she needs. It's her also knowing what do I need to get in the mood? How do I clear my headspace? Um, can I knowingly or unknowingly to him myself mentally schedule intimacy time so I can initiate with him right. um, so that it goes both ways. It shouldn't be just one partner's responsibility to initiate and get everything just so, um, which is also a myth. I think a lot of people um, who I've worked with, you know, we all know the men are the, the initiators and they're the, they're the dogs and they want it. Okay. Um, but that's, it also then creates a pursuer distancer dynamic. And so these women are being chased after yes. and then these men are being nagged. And so that, that doesn't feel very good for either person. Not at all. And to witness it is kind of, it's gross and mm -hmm. terrible mm -hmm. because I almost see that we're no longer in a marriage. We have the house of husband and the house of wife. Mm -hmm. And when you add shift work and financial power issues and time as distance between them, mm -hmm. now it's like he is siding with his family and how he grew up maybe. Yep. She is siding with her family and friends or whatever their support groups are. And maybe you could speak on this it's almost like the prerequisite to divorce. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if you're slipping on what I'm mopping. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I think this then starts to speak to our, our now training in EMDR, where when I'm seeing such a, when I'm giving them like scientifically backed evidence of here, go talk to each other this way, go behave this way, go try these things, because Gottman work is, is very much about how do you change your communication? How do you, how do you make these improvements? Mm -hmm. um, and I have tons of data and numbers on that. We could do another episode just on Gottman theory. Sure. Um, but when I don't see that and they're like, we, we, ha we printed out the paper you gave us and we wrote notes about how to talk and it either A, they're doing it, but it, it's not resonating within them, right? I say something nice and I get a good response, but it almost doesn't matter. Um, or they just aren't doing the work outside of session. Yeah. That's when I start asking those EMDR questions. Where else have you felt unworthy, not important, not good enough, undesired? Is there another place in your life you have felt this? And often it traces back to, I was bullied in school, my parents were unloving, my siblings were dicks, whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, now you guys need to be compassionate about each other's triggers. You have to. You guys didn't, you, you didn't just come into this relationship in, out of a vacuum. So we have to try to be compassionate about each other's triggers. It's not an excuse to act like a jackass. Right, no. <laughs> but when you see yourself overreact about the dishes in the sink or the garbage not being taken out or um, her physically withdrawing um, after being really close for a long time, like what's being triggered in you? Um, so I ask those questions a lot to figure out why aren't we able to connect to this couple's work? And that's then where I start to say the family of origin stuff here is getting in the way too much of our family of creation. Yes. And that's often when I will then refer them to individual while we're doing couples. And man, do I see like really quick growth when they're in their own really high quality individual work. I couldn't agree more with that because... You know, I just did actually the last podcast before this one was about um, Eric Erickson's stages mm -hmm. and where we, you know, learn mistrust or doubt or inferiority and despair, you know, all the different mm -hmm. stages 
and they come and sit in front of me like what's the matter with me Mm -hmm. you know and it's like well welcome to the human wagon glad you joined us (laughs) I know you thought you could get away with it you know but um we have to promote ourselves to human status and realize that we do have thoughts we do have feelings we do get affected by the way that we were raised or the trauma that we witness or that we are a part of mm-hmm. so you're right um, the word that kind of encapsulates what you were talking about is the float back material yes right so if you are feeling rejected and unworthy in your marriage we need to float back in time and see where did this theme originate mm-hmm. and treat the whole shebang yeah yes so I wanted to also talk about a common thing that I see in first responder men talking with me. They often will say something like, I made all these sacrifices for her. Mm -hmm. And it starts with, I chose her over my family. I'm the one who asked her to get engaged. I'm the one who had her move into my house. I did everything that she wanted. It's her paint colors. Mm. And I know maybe from a woman's perspective, everything that he did she thought that was a sign of his love and acceptance of her and 10 years or more Mm -hmm. into a marriage he's like I made all these sacrifices and I'm sick of it Mm -hmm. I don't know what the question is Jessica (laughs) like what what is happening here what is this um that's like I have like nine things that just float into my head right so some of it is to me gendered where um, emotions are more acceptable for women to show and experience than men. So if he was dissatisfied that she picked, you know, uh, a light purple bedroom, like it doesn't, uh, men have been taught really like two columns of feelings, either anger or content or complacent. Yeah. And so when they're in these camps, there isn't these, the, the room in between for small nuances of, I lightly disagree about this paint color. I'm mildly annoyed at the um, parenting choice you made. I'm slightly concerned about um, how much money we spent on Christmas. Um, I'm really sad that we used to have more sex and now we don't. And so I think because of that, if it doesn't fall in a zero or a 10, or like men, as Mm -hmm. I have seen too, think I just should brush this off. I should brush it off, I should brush it off. And because they are a human, so welcome back to the human experience. You only have a bucket so deep to keep dumping that stuff that she's unaware of yes. before you say, I can't take it. <laughs> and then you freak out about the paint color and punch a hole in the drywall, and she's like, where is this coming from? And yes. that's when they're in my office, because it's now at critical mass. Huge critical mass. And like, they'll look at me and say, you know, I want to ask you this question, not only because you're my therapist, but because you're a woman. So sure. can you can you give me the clinical answer and the girl answer? <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, I would strangle you. That's my answer. <laughs> like, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to deal with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, my my clinical pulls me through that yeah. other side. But very much so. I also empathize with what I hear about um, as a woman who does a lot of providing of her own yes. and to hear sometimes the things that they do for women is to me beautiful and impressive. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm getting at is can't we just appreciate each role? Can't we just love yeah. and notice both sides? Right. And, and to that point too, right? So often I'm, I'm trying to then teach the husband, like, I want you to speak up about things when on a scale of zero to 10, you're experiencing any negative emotion under a five, 
Let yeah. her know that. Um, I want you to be asking more questions, true open-ended questions about how do you feel about this? Yeah, I don't care. Do it. Do it. Do whatever you want. Is that true or is it not true? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and my husband struggles with that too. Where he's like, well, I don't care what color you pick. And I was like, I, I believe you for the most part. I mean, you could give a shit less about interior design, but is there anything that I pick? If you're going, oh my God, it's horrible. Please say something. Yep. This is your home, right? Um, and so I think to your point, it's learning that our, what makes us different is beautiful and challenging at the same time. Um, and, and so it comes down to then communicating about how am I feeling and not all the time, not everything has to be talked about. And I say that in all my sessions, I'm like, your, your therapist is telling you, you don't have to talk through everything, right? Like this is right. Right. Um, It's like, let's not split hairs and bang our head on the wall. Right. Um, but being able to, like you had said, oh my gosh, I thought he did all these things because he loves me and chose me. Um, yes. And so it's teaching him how to assertively make choices instead of this passive aggressive, I guess I have to kind of way. Um, and so a lot of the work that I think I'm doing with my couples is how can you both assertively communicate instead of either. And I think it goes both ways, either like this, this first responder who's in this leadership position and like hero-esque position, feeling like a doormat at home. Yes. Um, and, and saying, again, some of those skills translate really well at home. Some of them do not. Let's look at what works well in a marriage and what works, what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and effective communication so that people don't die in a house fire, like you can communicate very clearly. So how can we translate that at home? Um, so gotcha. Think, yeah. Because <laughs> yes. I think sometimes, you know, yeah. especially for men, therapy is super intimidating because now we're talking about all these feelings and like feelings are bullshit to most guys. And I promise you that you don't have to like become this like fuzzy little bunny to no. be able to be in touch with your relationship and your wife and your own shit. Because again, you matter and your needs matter just as much as hers and vice versa. Yes. And I think a lot of people and this is that EMDR stuff again, a lot of people didn't have their needs met as a child or or they tell me they had a perfect childhood, which I always call bullshit. Yes, how um, about it? And and I and I had great parents growing up and I even have my own shit that I work on in my own therapy. So yes. of course you have stuff from your childhood that like is worth looking at and dissecting. Um, and obviously to your point that you've said before in presentations and other podcasts, you are working with a very high functioning population. So yeah, guys, you're doing awesome and you have tons of skills. So can we focus on the deficit a little bit? Because something isn't working, that's why we're here. And a lot of it is about asserting needs, sharing feelings, connecting with another human on a human level. Um, and, And that kind of stuff I think is what the wives feel very alone in. They don't feel that connection. And a part of me would say they don't feel that connection because deficits create shame in them. Mm -hmm. And shame um, sometimes gets exacerbated when I say you should not be ashamed of your needs, wants, and preferences. Right. That's all that we're trying to figure out here. But they're like, well, I I don't have needs. I don't have wants. I can hold my breath forever. I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you're not fine. And if you end up divorced... And your children don't want to talk to you anymore. And then you're starting to get written up at work. And you're making mistakes here and there. Like, what does fine look like to you then? Right. Mm -hmm. And what is that fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and what's the E? Oh, yeah. 
I know what you're talking about, and it's escaping me too. Well, yep. we'll say escape. Escape, yeah. run. Yes. <laughs> e for totally. escape and run. Um, so I have two more questions that I want to make sure we get into. And I'm just going to word this sassy and, and let you deal with me. <laughs> but um, I have thought in the past that, look, dudes, couples counseling is not going to make you love each other. Um, maybe it'll just help you teach you uh, or so that you can learn some skills. And I kind of want you to correct me or tell me I'm right or what is sure. that? Well, I know, I know in the past, again, from the presentations you've done, that you will just flat out right say, don't come to me for couples, I will divorce you. And, <laughs> and it's because of, I think, the mindset or attitude you have there where you're like, no, just be done with it. This is really bad. Yeah. This is really bad for your personal growth right. and development. <laughs> Whereas I am like this, this very much eternal optimist like with couples. I stay with couples a long time if they'll let me. Um, and I, I do think that... If there is zero love, sure, right? Like, but but a lot of people aren't willing, A, if there is zero love, they're not willing to admit it, so we're going to work. Yeah. Um, if there is just, like, loveless, 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 or the refusal to let go of the resentment, I think Thank that's you. a bigger one. Like, yes. your partner fucked up, I get it, and now they're actually, they're doing the work, they're, and, and <laughs> I will say this, just coming to therapy isn't doing the work. How about it? At all. Painful. So when people come in and say, I'm here, aren't I, to their spouse, like, in my mind, I'm like, that's not enough. Um, it's a step. It's a first step. But there has to be the desire of, okay, clearly I'm doing something that is not working. I should figure that out and try to make the relationship better. That is not to say that your partner is off the hook. Like, they, they right. too, should be going... A, if I'm so miserable and I hate this person so much, why am I willing to stay in this? Yeah. Right? So that's your shit to look at. Um, and if I hate this person so much and I'm willing to stay in it, are you willing to let go of the hate and to start be, being friends again, go on dates, hang out with each other, ask open-ended questions, um, create rituals together again? Again, like I said, play. Yeah. Because um, you're not just running a business. Um, and I think through those interventions, couples can determine, are we in love still? Because I think it's really hard to determine, do we have love left when we're just peak resentment and hatred and toxicity? I've seen that. It's um, horrible. And, and sometimes they don't want to let go. And I think about, you ever see that thing on social media where the hand is gripping the rope? Mm -hmm. And the, the person who's gripping that rope is getting burned and we're getting down to bone. Yep. And it's just let go. Just let go of the rope. Yeah. And I think when I see that, I'm like, gosh, I hope they can just let go. Right, right. But there is a way, I think, in couples counseling, because I've seen you do it. <laughs> I've referred you couples that stay together and figure it out. Yeah. Um, but I always wondered, like, we can't make them love each other, right, Jessica? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, we, we have to get them through some of, the, like, some of the pain. It doesn't have to be, like, all rainbows and butterflies before that happens. What I'll say, though, is, okay, so we dropped the rope and that, that metaphor being either resentment or past hurts and we are like okay I actually am forgiving this person I'm in the process of forgiving them I'm in the process of trusting them I'm in the process of spending more time more positive time with them then you can determine is there love left because when okay. it's just all this hatred and toxicity you don't know until you're like well it's almost like saying okay go sprint on this broken bone right and so you right. have to set it after you set it, you can determine how has your athletic ability been compromised. 
So has the marriage been compromised to the point that it cannot heal? Or have you done all the healing and now, yeah, okay, actually, now I remember why I fell in love. Now I remember that cool part of their personality. Or is it like, nope, it's too broken. I, can't, I either can't let go or even though I've let go of all this pain and resentment, mm. I just don't like you anymore. Um, and that happens. I think that's when we see like cancellations in therapy or we no longer need your services. Um, you've taken us as far as you can. Mm. Um, and so like that happens. And I think that's always tough when I interview like, or when a new couple interviews me, what's your success rate? I don't know. And I think most therapists can't speak to that because there's no. such a unique it's very rare that we go start to finish with a beautiful termination session. You have graduated. Good yes. luck. God bless. Have a wonderful life. <laughs> um, which we all want because those types of endings to the story and therapy is always beautiful. Um, but most people are like, I'm good. See you later. And don't return. Or they're like, this isn't working. So there's such a wide variety of outcomes. Um, but I think long answer short, I think couples who see that this life they built together is worth it. They got off track. They want to get back on track can absolutely like fall back in love. Um, and so, and there are measures that I use like in the first few sessions, different assessments to see like, is that likely? And so that's, that is more Gottman based interventions and statistically mm -hmm. validated assessments on their part that, um, you know, I have the clients pay to do and I walk them through the results. So I think that's also very helpful for couples. I would say so. And I, I know I love your answer because I think it's very real. And you're right that we don't always know how well we have done. Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm different because of my population, because I teach first responders and I'm in their community in many ways mm -hmm. and they are in my office or I am in their classroom. Like sometimes I get that feedback, like I know for sure they would fire me or not ask for me, you know, mm -hmm. but going on 11 years, there must be something. Right. And that has continued with you as well, that people still call asking for Jessica mm -hmm. because your reputation actually, you know, oh, is set with them. Good. So maybe that's the one thing we can say that gauges, is mm -hmm. this worth it? Right. You know, um, but my last question is, three relationship tips to first responder spouses. Mm, okay. And I don't know if you want me to read out loud what we had talked about. Yeah, but go ahead. Um, so one of the things I know that we had kind of briefly talked about getting set up for the podcast was um, a culture of appreciation. Mm. And what I mean by that is um, in most healthcare first responder fields, it is a pretty thankless job, right? So you get people who are ODing or like belligerent people or unresponsive patients, patients who pass, patients who you pass off to the, you know, yeah. the hospital and you don't see anything from them um, or, or you don't know the end of the, that story. Right, and on the law enforcement side, good yeah. Lord. Oh boy, that's, yeah. that's its own podcast, how about it? <laughs> um, but because of that, nurses, Firefighters, police officers, um, there's just not a lot of thank yous for the um, the job that they do. And I think, and I will say this too, I know this is for the spouses of first responders, but when the first responder household has a culture of appreciation, it goes a long way. And so, again, thank you for putting your life on the line, first responder, you know, first responder spouse to first responder. Thank you for holding down the house when I'm gone for 24 to 48 hours first responder to spouse, right? Like these types of thank yous and I see what you do for our home and our life. 
-hmm. It's cheap insurance, right? It's, it's quick, cheap insurance. And it's a culture of, we are looking for the positives that our partner does um, instead of the negatives. We'll find the negatives. The brain is hardwired to find the shit that bothers us. It just yes. is. That's neuroscience. So when we are consciously and intentionally thanking, looking for the good stuff, pointing it out, um, having gratitude, um, it, it hardwires the brain in a different path and it makes us feel better. Yes. Um, because that's something I think the first responders are lacking. Because even if, even if a scene goes perfectly fine, you're obviously still showing up to something chaotic, mm -hmm. right? So, and, and depending on the department, there isn't a job well done at a boy. Um, so there's a lot of that on the department side that is lacking too. There's not the thank yes. you so much for all you do. So that's one thing is culture of appreciation and gratitude. That's one of the main things I ask my couples, how's your gratitude going? How is that culture? Is it changing? Is that shifting? Um, another thing, especially for the spouses, first responders naturally have a brotherhood or a family or community based on the shift work, being gone for 24 hours, eating together, sleep, bunking together, going on calls together, trauma bonding. Therefore, mm -hmm. the wives or the, the spouses can really feel outside of that culture. Um, so I encourage spouses to read the book, I Love a Firefighter, I Love a Police Officer, get onto online forums, join Facebook groups for spouses, um, see if your local firehouse has you know, a good community for the family and spouses. Um, you know, some are better than others, we know that, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's super crucial so you have each other to lean on and have some commiseration. Um, on the spouse side of, it's hard when they're gone. Um, I don't know what their mood is going to be like. Do you experience this with your first responder? Um, so that part, the, the, the um, culture of being the spouse, which I think for first responders is um, more underdeveloped than I've seen in the military. Like military spouses, I think, do a better job of creating that culture and banding together and creating community. Um, and so that to me is huge, is just really trying to foster community amongst the, the spouses. When you say that too, I try to preach this idea that if you're a probie, so is she. Oh yeah. And we need to integrate her into this place you're gonna hopefully work at for 20 plus years and somehow introduce her, even put them on ride-alongs and mm -hmm. get them to understand, like what are we really signing up here yeah. for, yep. you know? So they don't get sworn in and they don't get badges, but they are a huge part mm -hmm. of why we have first responders right. in our communities. For sure. Um, so I wish that they would get that credit and creating a community might help do that. Mm -hmm. And then the last tip that we had talked about was, even though this is a wonderful like podcast to talk about therapy and couples counseling, please don't therapize your partner. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I know that when you wrote that down, I said, unless you're going to therapize yourself. Right. And yes. so, yes. so meaning kind of, I think I said it a little bit earlier of like, if you're putting up with someone else's misery and they're just miserable and they're dealing with their own stuff, like, what does that say about you as a person? Why yes. are you, what's going on with you, man, that you're willing to put up with this person going through some stuff or that you're claiming they have PTSD or they have anxiety or they have ADHD or whatever you think they have what do you have that's willing to be codependent with that and so sometimes if one partner isn't ready to go to therapy like you might want to start your own journey um, 
A, to better understand yourself, to better understand what you might be seeing in your partner so that you can support them. Um, not so that you could become their little therapist, but to be able to be more stable and grounded in yourself and let their stuff be their stuff. Um, so, so I think that's important too. I know that you, me, and Patty, who owns the practice here in Lyle, like we have done a really good job over the last five years of creating that trifecta yes. of, of the two spouses in their own individual work and then together as a couple in couples work. And those are the strongest, I would say those are the strongest families we see. With the Easily. success, right? Yeah, Where we're like, success. boom, that worked. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. Like, those are the ones where, like, I feel very um, confident, like, session to session, right? Like, they don't pop up in my mind of, like, oh, God, how are they doing? Because I know that they're kind of always triaging, which is, again, something that speaks very much to first responders. Yes. Um, you know, what do we tackle first? Okay. And, and when you follow our SOPs, it tends to go pretty well. <laughs> I, that's a really awesome way to put it, which I'm always fighting for the state of Illinois regarding first responders to create an SOP or follow what mm-hmm. the F I'm talking about. But I know nothing. That's what I just start saying. What do I know? <laughs> right, <laughs> I don't right. know anything. What are, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I think that's a very reasonable, smart answer too, um, to, to suggest to people, we don't want you to therapize each other. We want you to understand yourself. Yeah. 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 And, and like through that, I think the more insight we gain about ourselves, the better we are able to step back and kind of look at someone and go, mm, I see what's going on with you, but I don't need to absorb that. Yes. I get it. I don't like it, but I don't have to absorb it. Oh my gosh. And they're notorious for um, throwing shit in each other's fans. Yeah. Another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to thank you so much for your time mm-hmm. and your expertise and this lovely conversation and time together mm-hmm. and um maybe just one more time say where you're at or how to get a hold of you sure um so i am with the center for insight and connection in lyle um you can easily google us we have a facebook page we post um every day just high quality tips for your relationships your own mental health emdr stuff i post every wednesday um and i am primarily still doing telehealth due to covid Um, I do know that that is going to be adding extra stress as we see this third wave come through, especially for first responders. So, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Even if telehealth seems kind of funky, I promise you it's super still connected. It's working. It's totally working. It's working. And then you don't have to find a babysitter. Uh, I do love that. (laughs) Like they're they're there and they're available. So um, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. Again, I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois. And as I always say, do life so it doesn't do you. Take good care and stay safe.